This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men in Blazers pod special. Oh, special pod special, because our guest today, a man who's been between the posts for the US men's national team, and now Atlanta United FC. He's a remarkable gent whose football career has been one of patience and perseverance. And it begins a long way from Bobby Dodd Stadium. In 2005, this bloke was drafted second overall by the now defunct Shivash USA. God, I missed them. Spending three seasons in sunny Southern California before decamping for slightly less sunny England to pursue his childhood dream of playing in Europe. In almost a decade of English football, he racked up over 200 appearances, including nine in European competition, with Aston Villa, Hull City and Middlesbrough. But his time on British shores had its turbulent spells and ended amidst the harsh reality of football's relegation savagery, first with Villa, then last season with Borough. Listeners, I can attest... Our man has emerged from the wreckage unscathed and he sits here right before me looking better and more handsome than ever. We welcome to the pod a polar bear who's part Gamecock, born in Evergreen Park, Illinois. Chris Chelius and Jenny McCarthy know it well. Town motto, your future is here. A gent with more than 50 caps and counting, the notorious G-U-Z, the one and only Mr. Bradley Edwin Guzan. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, I'm exhausted, Brad. <laughs> oh, Quite the introduction. It was, but you are worth that introduction because your story to me is truly fascinating for so many different reasons. The first to me, and I love this, when you began, you were a defensive midfielder, an enforcer. You are in a national final, age 17. Could you, should you, be considered as Jermaine Jones' heir apparent on the national team? <laughs> I don't think so. It was a good run, but to move on to the next level of collegiate soccer, I had to find my way back into the goal. So it was a good run, like I said, but it wasn't to be. Oh, you make it sound like you found the goal on MapQuest. (laughs) It's not just a journey to the goal. It's also a mental journey. Being a goalkeeper, and we've talked about this a lot, it's such a thankless task. What kind of madness made you decide to give up destroying, to give up creating, at which you were, all reports have it, quite adept? and become a goalkeeper? I think it was a a bit of both. I think it was more so to play at the next level. I probably wasn't the best and wasn't quick enough and and maybe not the the best with the ball at my feet, but I'm not sure the uh, extent of the craziness as to why I I opted for the goal. They say goalkeepers are are a bit crazy, and and I think you have to be, and and I'd probably fall into that category a little bit. Your fate may have been set by your haircut, Brad. So I've been told. (laughs) You are a power bald. And I respect you and revere you for that alone. But it's traditionally the mark of American shot-stopping greatness. I mean, how do you understand the correlation? I mean this seriously, because it is unbelievable. We've got such a big control group. Guzan, Friedel. Friedel gave birth to Keller. <laughs> Keller gave birth to Howard and yourself. I mean, that body of evidence, it's pretty conclusive. It can't be a, a coincidence. 
I'm gonna put this on record and say, you know, listen, I I could easily grow some hair. I just choose to I could choose to keep it this short. So yeah, um, me too. Yeah, exactly. Right. Breaking we'll keep, news. We'll, we'll keep we'll keep that our secret. Oh, I've got the hair of a, an elite goalkeeper, but my distribution game needs work. <laughs> the early part of your game, though, was a battle to assert yourself. 2007 MLS Goalkeeper of the Year, and then you moved to England. You found yourself behind Brad Friedel and Shay Given. At Aston Villa, the Villa fans used to call you Brad Jr. Or Son of Brad, I think, was one of their early nicknames. And then the national level, you spent nearly a decade on long-haul flights back to the U.S. men's national team to serve as Tim Howard's backup. I mean, you logged more air miles <laughs> in that time than you did playing minutes. And it's changed. But in that moment, how mentally exhausting is it for the U.S. team? Travel to the game all that distance. Be ready mentally. I mean, were the dark moments on return flights home when you thought, I've just come all this way and not gotten to show what I'm truly capable of, and it's just mentally exhausting? No, honestly, I, I never once thought that. I never once thought, you know, this was a waste of my time. I never once thought, you know, what am I doing, questioning, why am I coming? The thought and the feeling was always excitement, was always a sense of honor, and to be able to represent your country is is huge. And so for me, getting on the plane and, and flying to qualifiers, flying to Florida to meet up with the team, it was never a, a thought of why am I doing this or, or I could be doing something else. It was always a thought of excitement, like I said, and being very fortunate to be a part of the national team program. But elite athletes by nature are highly competitive creatures. I once asked Tim Howard how he felt whenever he was on the bench and whether he rooted for the number one goalkeeper to make a mistake. And he scratched his head and he said, I'm going to be totally honest. Yes, <laughs> yes, I do, because I want my chance. Do you relate to that? Yeah, listen, you can you can understand that and you can understand where he's coming from because with goalkeeping, there's only one position for one player. So it's it's not like you can change formations. It's not like you can, all, in the 60th minute, make a change to, to bring someone off the bench and, and give him a chance. It's a run of form where if the guy in front of you is playing well or, or even if he's not playing particularly well but the manager believes in him, it's sometimes difficult for a number two to get an opportunity. When your chance came, you took it at club level and then some. You were Aston Villa's player of the season in 2013. But your last two campaigns in England were long and grueling. Aston Villa won three of 38 matches and were relegated to England's second tier for the first time in 29 years. And then Middlesbrough went one and out in the Premier League, battling relegation from the off. They won just five games all season. When you experience back-to-back relegation on the field... As a player, as a human being, how much do you bring that home and let it pervade your life off the field? It definitely affects you off the field. You understand that as as a player, you have a responsibility to your team, but also to the club and to the fans and the supporters. But behind the scenes, there's you know potentially hundreds of employees that work for a club off the field, whether it be you know in ticket sales or in the kitchen or or wherever it may be. But somehow they're affiliated with the club, and those people. They suffer the consequences as well, whether it be a pay cut, whether it be uh, losing their job. So it affects a lot of people uh, in the community, in in the club itself. Um, and as a player, like I said, you you have that responsibility uh, that, that ultimately falls on your shoulders. How difficult is it for goalkeepers? Because I often think about the pressure that is put on a relegation-bound team. The fans demand more. The manager demands more. And a field player... They can give more. You know, when times are tough and things are going south, they can run that extra mile 
They can maybe play a more conservative game, try and cut out risk. They can give an extra 10%, all these footballing cliches. But goalkeepers, you're victims of fate. I mean, you are condemned to your area, you're pinned back, no margin for error. Do you suffer more because you can only be reactive? Yeah, I mean, listen, you you definitely suffer. You you think about those things you just mentioned, and, and you know, it's not like a goalkeeper can run up the pitch and and score a goal or, or chase a, a lost ball down the channel or whatnot. So it becomes definitely a, a mental battle. But you, you try to affect the game in other ways, you know, whether you can help cut out a cross, whether you can play a higher off your line to help the defenders out, whether you can obviously make a big save in a big moment. Um, these are all little things that you try to do as, as best you can to try and help the guys in front of you, knowing that, you know, everyone's backs are against the wall. When you're in the relegation battle, it's it's not a nice feeling. Every game carries that much more weight, and, and it becomes a, a very difficult task. You sound strong, but the reality of European football it is harsh. I mean, you were accosted by your own frustrated Villa fans while you were at a theme park with your family. The abuse you received in, by the media after that Chelsea game this season was, was abhorrent and personal. Tim Howard once said of you that you, Brad Guzan, have, quote, the best goalkeeping mind he's ever been around in terms of your ability to block things out. What process do you use to repress dark forces while still allowing constructive criticism in? Talk us through how you do it. I mean, I think, listen, it, we're all human. So, of course, when you hear, you know, negative things about yourself or you hear negative things about your team, it's it's not a nice feeling. But you have to, you have, to have the ability to take that negativity in general and be able to apply it in a positive way. And so... The next day, whether it's in training, whether it's in a recovery session, whether it's in a video session, you have to use that negativity to try and get better. If I had a time machine, sadly I don't, but if I had a time machine and we could go back two years and you could give the Brad Guzan of two years ago some advice that you've learned from the hardships of the relegation battle, what advice would that be? Make more saves. Uh, (laughs) Make more saves and, and prevent the team from... From being relegated, I mean, like I said, listen, you know, you you talk about it, but it's it's a serious thing. It's not nice to have, obviously, on your resume. But ultimately, I would say, listen, things things will be okay because at, at the time it was, you you take things personally and and you're not sure where to where to go, where to turn, and you have to find a way to keep moving forward. I interviewed Arsene Wenger last season, and he said to me, the single quality that sets apart professional footballers from those that do not excel to that level is ultimately their tenacity and when I watch you play in England over the past nine seasons I mean you have shown that game in game out whatever the results but the decision to return to the United States to MLS to Atlanta after grinding your way into first team Premier League football over nine seasons year after year what were the factors you thought through? Being over there for nine years is and in, in was something that, that I'm very proud of because for an American to go over there and, you know, good or bad, leave a footprint. And most of the time, especially when I first went over, there were guys that were going over for maybe a year to two years and coming back. And I wanted to really give it a go. And so when I wasn't playing at the beginning, I, I said, listen, going back home wasn't an option. I wanted to stay. I wanted to fight it out, grind it out. And Tenacity. Yeah, and and I wanted to make my path and really experience European football and experience playing in the Premier League. And 
I was very fortunate to be able to do that. You know, in life, sometimes there's other things outside of football. Mm. Are, apparently. Second uh, piece of news we're breaking. I Number know, one, right? Brad Guzan, <laughs> bull by choice. Number two, there are things outside of life that are bigger than football. Right. And so uh, with two small kids, we were ready. My wife and I, we were ready to be closer to family and be in the U.S. So when you put all the things together, we were ready to come back. Did Tim Howard leave in the Premier League? to join MLS's Colorado Rapids. Did that factor in at all? Did his move almost give you permission to do the same? No, not really. I mean, I think we were obviously at two different age levels in terms of his success and and what he's done at Everton and and starting at Man United. It was unbelievable. And seeing him come back, and obviously we're quite close, and he was kind of telling me some things about the MLS that he wasn't used to and how things have changed in a good way. But uh, no, I, I don't think it affected my decision. Was it a tough decision for you, one you had to grapple with, you know, agonize over with your partner? Or did it just suddenly feel right and come with its own sense of relief? I think it was a bit of both. There were definitely some conversations, you know, with my wife, Brianne, and and we spoke and, you know, we had those conversations almost nightly in terms of, is this what we want to do? Is, Is this what I want to do? And so, yeah, there were some tough nights. And now it's made. Did it come with relief? Not so much relief, but excitement. I'm excited to be joining a club like Atlanta United. I'm excited to be back in the MLS where I first started my career. I've always said I wanted to come back, and to be now in the MLS where it's grown in leaps and bounds since I left it is fantastic. I mean, the word you use, excitement, easily applied to the team you're going to, Atlanta. A dizzying delight they are to watch. Positive, attack-minded football, potent young stars in Miguel Almiron and Joseph Martinez. 47,000 packed into the booming, sold-out Bobby Dodd Stadium. But for you, it's a new team, a new locker room culture to fit into. How does that make you feel? Do you feel excited? Be honest. Do you also feel nerves, apprehension that you're starting over? It's not so much nerves in a bad way. It's probably nerves in a good way because it's it's like your first day of school when you're a kid and you're meeting your, your, your classmates for the first time. And for me, going into a new locker room, I've got to go in and prove to my teammates that I can contribute, that I could help and I could be counted on and be one of the guys. And, and that's what I want to do. I can't wait to get down to the Bobby Dodd. I, I, I watch it and I just love that that is America. More than that, it's America. It's southeastern United States. You went to school in neighboring South Carolina. Go Gamecocks. You played your home games at the Graveyard, one of our favorite college soccer stadiums in the country. For those who haven't seen it, one side is stands, the other is it's truly a graveyard, right? It is, cemetery, yeah. Oh, bury me there now. That is symbolic power. But can you believe how soccer's grown in the southeastern United States? I mean, that is Braves and Falcons country, even within the arc of your career. It's fantastic. Uh, I don't think anyone down there expected the, the support that they've received since the beginning of the season. And so to have 47,000, to have the fans tailgating before the game, after the game, walking to the stadium, it's truly uh, an atmosphere of its own. And, and I think that's ultimately going to help MLS, but especially for the Southeast, it's fantastic to be a part of it. And I was fortunate enough to be down there this couple of weeks ago for a game and, and to witness it firsthand, and it was brilliant. You are down there you're setting up your life there but you are arriving back in the u.s after living in england for nearly a decade you have two english-born kids a son and a daughter it's a place where you've actually think about it you spent the majority of your adult life brad what will you miss most from your time that i'll end up missing 
the buzz and the competitiveness of the Premier League, the craziness and the discussions and, you know, the TV, the analysts, the talk shows, everything, that's a, it's, it's all football, football, football. And I'll miss it, but at the same time, it'll be nice to step out of it a little bit and kind of enjoy the other things, uh, the other finer things in life. You return to MLS at a, a fantastic time in the international cycle with a World Cup in Moscow, literally within touching distance and on the horizon for the U.S. team. Your time with the U.S., I mean, the recent World Cup hex qualifiers, you split time with Timmy Howard. Outfield players, they can switch and rotate to stay fresh. But goalkeepers, you need reps. You need time to establish a rapport, communication with your bat line. Be honest, how hard is it to switch in and out of that number one role mentally? It's obviously, it, it can be tough at times. I think we are fortunate in the aspect that we have good players in front of us and we're able to communicate with them. And it, it, it's guys that have been around the national team for quite some time and they've got a few games under their belt as well. And I think that helps for sure. But you try to use your own experiences. You, you speak to the guys in front of you. And listen, at the end of the day, regardless if it's difficult or not mentally or physically, when your name is called to represent your country, you do it to your best of your ability, and, and you do it with pride and honor. Your name was just called to represent the country in possibly the hardest place to be the number one, the Azteca, a place where you seem to thrive. <laughs> I mean, you are one of the rare Americans who seems to savor taking the field there. Two appearances there, two draws, just one goal conceded. What's your secret? I've been fortunate to be a part of those big games, and those are the big games that, as a professional, you, you want to be involved in. And so to go there and, and get two results, especially in World Cup qualifying, was absolutely huge for us. And ultimately, as you mentioned, the, the goal is to make sure that we're in, uh, in Russia in 2018. But you should play every game in Liga MX, I think. <laughs> Don't want, sorry, Atlanta fans, but you are a gentleman that excels. You should play every bloody game at the Azteca. <laughs> Does it feel, once again, kicks off like a different, you know, the, the humidity, the altitude, the smog, the thousands of fans behind your goal, probably not saying beautiful things <laughs> as I do about Bradley Guzan. Does it feel different to you? Um, you can't really even we, hear your defenders. Can no, you? it's, it's not so much the feeling in the stadium. I think it's the principle and the idea of the U.S. going to Mexico, going to Azteca, and the history behind it, and how big and, and the magnitude of that game always is. So for us, I think it's that idea of, right, we're going into Azteca. How are we going to get a result? How are we going to do this? What's the game plan? And execute it as best we can. Did you always know you were going to get that start in the Azteca? When did Bruce tell you? More so at the beginning of the, of the camp. So and you so knew you were starting at the Azteca from almost day one. Th those were the, the conversations. Of course, everything can change. You know, anything and everything can change. And you have to be ready for that. And those were the conversations kind of at the beginning. That must make you feel amazing. It's always nice to have the support of the manager, especially going into a big game. Uh, it gives you a, a confidence boost for sure. Do you but feel a dot of nerves, a fear? These are the games you want to be a part of. So it's not nerves, it's excitement, it's readiness, it's believing in yourself to go out and do a job. How does it work in terms of your relationship with Tim? I mean, he wants to bloody play at the Aztec. If he yeah, wants to of play anyway, I mean, and you think of the great stadiums of the world, you think Goodison Park, number one. <laughs> you think Bobby Dodd, number two. And then maybe Azteca arguably slips in there at number three. 
how does he take that? Are you friends? Are you colleagues? Are you competitors? How would you define it? Yeah, we, we get along great, both on and off the field. And I, and I think we push each other to become better goalkeepers. We have a good understanding of each other. And the experience and the ability and quality that he brings to the team, I, I would like to think that I make him a better goalkeeper. And, and he for sure makes me a better goalkeeper. So it's a good working environment. Who do you guys see as your natural replacement with the U.S. team? Is it like Ethan Horvath, Jesse Gonzalez? Jonathan Klinsman, Tony Miola. <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. We've had uh, a few young American goalkeepers kind of come through, come in different camps, different times. It's exciting to see how those guys progress and, and how they continue to grow as goalkeepers and ultimately how they grow at the national team. But when you think of successor, I mean, you are just 32, which is like goalkeepers measure their age in dog years. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I still mean, young. Give me some time over here. You know. You do. So <laughs> where, where, where do you see yourself in your career? You do feel like you're still. You've just moved through the youth of your career. Brad Friedel played till he was like 70. I know. I know. It's funny because Tim and I we speak quite regularly about how you know as you get older and how your body changes, how it's affected uh, in terms of training and what you do in a training session in terms of how many times you hit the ground and whatnot. So you you have to be you know mindful of that, but at the same time. I still feel that I have a lot to offer. I have a lot to give. And yeah, I'm excited to be a part of a club where I think I can have a long future. American Gigi Buffon. Yeah, possibly. Right? Why not? I think he looks a little bit better than I do. Oh, he's had some work done. <laughs> <laughs> After all you've been through, the great times, the long backup years, and despite the times of challenge that you've also persevered through, do you feel in a way looking at it that despite being 32, you still have something to prove? I think you always have something to prove. I think with goalkeepers, especially goalkeepers, you're, you're constantly learning the position, learning different situations. You're seeing different situations in a game. So as a goalkeeper, I think you're always trying to prove to yourself, prove to your teammates, your coaching staff, the fans. You go out there with a, a bit of a chip on your shoulder that you want to be the guy and, and you want to make sure that nothing gets past you. The learning. Does that mean the best years still ahead as you mentally? I hope so. Like you mentioned, Brad Friedel, Gigi, all these guys, you know, they play into their late 30s, early 40s. And there's a reason why. And I think if you have the right mentality, knock on wood, keep yourself fit, no serious injuries. Uh, there's no reason why you can't carry on. Oh, please, God, let that be true, Brad. <laughs> I got to say, I love watching you, not just athletically, but as a human, your tenacity, your resilience. To me, they're inspirational wonders. So on behalf of all of our listeners, on behalf of every U.S. men's national team and MLS fan, Brad Guzan, welcome home. You're an American treasure. Courage. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Oh, what a man. What a power ball. And you can see him this Saturday when Atlanta, oh, they take on Orlando again. Haven't you had enough already, Orlando, this time? It's at the mighty Bobby Dodd Stadium. That game, 4.30 Eastern on Network Fox. Yep, FX not big enough for Bradley. Oh, he's going to be on the network. We said it before and we'll say it again and again because we love flogging dead horses on this show. Pray for Guzan, people. Hashtag courage. <laughs>